Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. So good to see everyone this morning. If this is your first time with us this morning, uh, either in person or from our eCampus church, family church at home, this is your lucky day because we're starting a brand new series. And if you don't know how things work around here, I usually preach a series, sermon series, which uh, really is just kind of like I'll pick a topic uh, and preach on it until I run out of material or you guys get tired of it and quit listening. And then I'll switch. Um, not really, I don't think. But seriously, I'm, I am excited about this new series because we're going to be looking at some different places in the Bible where people had a divine encounter with the Lord and were rad, their lives were radically changed as a result of that divine encounter. And so as we launch this new series, the first God encounter that we're going to look at is someone from the Old Testament, a guy named Jacob. <clears throat> now, most of you probably heard of Jacob, especially if you grew up in the church. But Jacob was uh, Abraham's grandson. He was also a twin, which is kind of an interesting part of his story, born just minutes or perhaps even seconds after his brother Esau. The Bible makes it a point to let us know that these, these boys, these little tykes, were wrestling with each other even when they were in their mother, Rebecca's womb. And apparently, this wrestling match continued during their birth as we're told that Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel during their birth. And it's interesting because when you read Joseph's story, you see that much of his life was marked indeed by wrestling, turmoil, struggling, perhaps not unlike some of us this morning. Maybe you're wrestling with your finances or one of your, maybe you're wrestling with one of your adolescent children. Maybe you're wrestling with your job. Maybe you're wrestling with an addiction or some other life controlling issues. The point being, we don't have to go looking for wrestling matches, do we? We don't go looking for trouble. Trouble finds us. Trouble knows where we live. Trouble comes knocking on our door. But the, the struggle that Jacob is most known for, this wrestling match that ended up defining his life, is what we're going to look at this morning as we launch our new series, God Encounters. We're going to begin reading towards the end of the story of when Jacob had this divine encounter. So, so this first God encounter is Jacob's story. And here it is in Genesis 32, verse 22. That night Jacob got up, took his two wives... We'll talk about that in another sermon. His two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. Verses 23 and 24. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left, huge word coming up, Jacob was left alone. Alone. Everyone say alone. Alone. You know, sometimes God can do more in us when we're alone and desperate. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, I know the key word that we're looking at this morning is wrestle, but we need to first talk about this man that's mentioned here. This is what, this is what many Bible scholars and theologians call a Christophany, which is just a $20 word that means this is, this is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. A Christophany is where Jesus actually steps out of heaven, makes an appearance on earth, and plays a role in human history before stepping back into heaven and returning to his throne. And there, there's just a handful of these mentioned in the Old Testament. For example, there's, there's a person by the name of Melchizedek. If you 
have any church familiarity at all, probably heard of Melchizedek. He's mentioned in Genesis uh, and Psalm 110, as a matter of fact. And most theologians believe that that is an appearance of Christ. Perhaps the most popular Christophany is found in the book of Daniel, book of Daniel, where it talks about three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar and were thrown into a fiery furnace. Y'all remember that story, right? If you grew up in the, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably know about that story. Right after Nebuchadnezzar's guards threw these three guys into the fire, he's looking in there to see how they're going to burn up, and he sees a fourth figure. That is another Christophany. Most Bible theologians believe that that was an appearance of Christ as he showed up on the pages of history. Genesis 32, verse 25, when the man, okay, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. In other words, Jacob was, was fighting against wrestling with God so intently that God had to touch him in a way that partially crippled him by putting his hip out of joint. Now, some of you might be going through a difficult time right now feeling like you're in a wrestling match with God. And the reason that you're fighting back is because you don't realize that God's wanting to do some changes in your life. He's wanting to maybe change that thing that you've been holding on to. You need to let go of that. Start holding on to God. He wants to do a change in you. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The Lord or the angel, this messenger from God, whoever it was, after a while tells Jacob, okay, it's time to shut this down. I'm done working on you for now, so let me go. And Jacob's response is what, the, this is what I'm praying for all of us during this coming year, that we won't let go of God until he blesses us. That's a good prayer, people. That, that's a good prayer. That you'll hold on to God and encounter him in such a real and powerful way that he'll deliver you from those things that you're struggling or that you've been wrestling with. Because all of us, listen, all of us have some things in our life that we've been wrestling with, areas where God needs to make some changes. That's why we're doing this series. One of the reasons why we're doing this series, because I want everyone to wrestle with God and not let go until he changes you, until he blesses you. I want you to be so determined to, to, to grab a hold of God and encounter him like you never had before, that you'll do whatever it takes for that to happen, whether that's get up a little bit earlier in the morning, right? Grab a hold of him, spend time with him in, in, in his word and prayer and worship. And if you get up early and God doesn't show up, don't let that deter you. Get up early the next morning. And then the next, you do whatever it takes till you have that encounter with God. Be relentless in your pursuit of encountering God because sometimes it really does take that kind of tenacity, that kind of posture to settle some of these things that we're wrestling with. Then look at God's response here. This is great. Jake has, Jake has been in this intense wrestling match with the Lord. And at one point, the Lord says, the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, what's your name? Isn't that great? But listen, this is the Lord. You realize he knew Jacob's name, right? He knew Jacob's name, right? The reason the Lord asked Jacob what his name was is because that back then, people's names represented who they were. In fact, parents would name their children certain names almost as a self-fulfilling prophecy where after so many years of hearing their name, they would become or represent the meaning of their name. So parents put a lot of thought into naming their children back in that culture. So a more literal translation of this question, when, when, when the, the Lord asked him, what's your name? A more literal translation would be, tell me about yourself, Jacob. Tell, tell me about yourself. Tell me about how you view yourself, Jacob, Mr. Trickster, Mr. Deceiver. Tell me about how you have allowed the circumstances of your life define who you are. 
I mentioned earlier how the Bible tells us this interesting tidbit of, of information about Jacob's birth back in Genesis 25, verse 26. After this, his brother came out. This is talking about Jacob and Esau's birth. After this, his brother came out with his, Jacob's hand, grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now, why would the Bible tell us that? Because Moses thought the book would be too short, so he thought he'd throw in some more filler information. Right? No, it's there for a reason. And one of the reasons is so we can learn from Jacob's life. And one of the things we learn is that from the very beginning of his life, Jacob was competing. Jacob was competing, always trying to get ahead, even if that meant dragging down those ahead of him. Had Esau want to pull him back so he could be the firstborn, right? I mean, he consciously wasn't thinking that, but I think it's very fitting because it ended up defining his life. So much of his life was just like that. God asked him, what's your name? Jacob, trickster, deceiver, liar. That's who I am, God. That's my name. Some of you, and you're wrestling with God. God's trying to do a work inside of you, and, and you're resisting. I mean, because, you know, you tried the church thing before, and, you know, it just didn't go so well. And, and since then, maybe you didn't really walk away from God, but you kind of sort of kept him at arm's length, never really surrendering all your heart to him. And sadly, some of you become comfortable with that level of relationship because this is just who I am, God. Trickster, deceiver. This, this is what you've got to work with, God. You know, whether it's a bad previous church experience, fear, doesn't matter. Either way, God wants you to know that those things no longer have to define your life. Doesn't matter what your name is, what you've represented before. Look at the Lord's response here to Jacob. Verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Lord asked him, what's your name? Jacob, deceiver, trickster, liar. No, 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 not anymore. Not anymore. I'm going to give you a different name. From now on, you're going to have a different, a different representation, a different destiny. From now on, your name is Israel. Israel, one that struggled, one that prevailed with God. Please, 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 if you don't remember anything about this sermon, remember this. You don't have to be who you are anymore. If you're not satisfied with where you're at or some areas of your life, it doesn't have to be that way. God can help you make the changes. God can help you. If you'll do these two things, if you'll posture yourself to have an encounter with God, like Jacob did, and if you'll hold on to God until he blesses you, until he changes you, like Jacob did. That thing that no one else knows about but you and God, you can let that go. You can let that go. That no longer has to define you. You no longer have to pretend to be somebody that you're really not. Your life can really change. How do you know that? The Lord tells us in Genesis 32, verse 28, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So you've struggled, wrestled all your life, Jacob, because that's who you were. But now you're wrestling the right way. You've been wrestling with other people all your life, but now you're wrestling the right way. You wrestled with God and you were determined to hold on to him and not let go until he blessed you, until he changed you. Then since the angel asked Jacob what his name was, Jacob's like, okay, back at you. What's your name? Verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? In other words, you don't even know my name. 
You don't need to know my name. What's important is your name, Jacob, and changing it. Here the Lord is addressing that, 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 that fear of, of, of not being in control or, or not knowing. See, we all want to know what God's going to do before we agree to change, right? We're, we're willing to change. Just let me know what you want to change. I'm sorry, folks, but it doesn't work that way. At least not with me and probably not for you. You know why God doesn't tell us what he's going to do before he does it? Because we'll screw it up. I know that personally and you know that personally, right? Yeah, we're on a, when it comes to God changing us, we're on a need-to-know basis. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we're on a need-to-know basis. You you know, most of us have screwed up some areas of our life for that very reason. You know, we we, we thought we got a glimpse of what God had for us, and then so we got involved, and sure enough, it went south real quick. Verse 29. Then he blessed him there. You don't need to know the details. Just let me bless you. In other words, trust me. Trust me. Genesis 32, 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Okay, here's the big idea of this morning's message. Many of us are wrestling between who we've become and who we're supposed to be. How many of you are at a place in your life right now that is nothing like you thought it would be or hoped it would be? earlier in your life when you thought about now, when you thought about where you would be, right? And looking at the life of Jacob, three wrestling matches stand out to me, and these these are some of the same wrestling matches that many of us are having. We wrestle with our past. We wrestle with our past, all the coulda, shoulda, wouldas in our life. Or, man, I I can't believe they left me, or I, I can't believe I'm still working at this place. I can't believe I didn't go back to school back when I thought about doing it when it would have been so much easier and on and on and on. And we spend so much time and exert so much energy thinking about and fretting over how we got to where we're at, right? Rather than figuring out how to get from where we are to where God wants us. That's like, that's like uh, let's say you're going to take a road trip to Dallas. So you head out on the road, and, and after a few hours, you see a sign that says, Tulsa, 27 miles. So you pull over and you pull out the road map and you start looking at it. And the longer you look at it, the more frustrated and ticked off you get. How in the world did I get to Tulsa trying to drive to Dallas? Well, don't worry about it. What are you going to do now? Don't be fretting over where you're at now. Worry about how you're going to get where you're wanting to go. doesn't matter how you got there, right? Use that same map to figure out how to get from Tulsa to Dallas. Over the course of your life, think about how much time and energy, emotional, mental, and physical, you've spent over where you ended up instead of getting back on track with God so you can arrive at your intended destination. And we all do that. I'm sure there were numerous times over the course of Jacob's life where he did this. I mean, even from the very beginning, at his birth, not that he would have remembered it, but but how many times during the course of his life do you think that he heard the story of his and Esau's birth, right? Is that really true, Jacob? That when, when you and Esau were born, you were grabbing onto Esau's heel? I imagine he, tried, he probably didn't want to go to parties anymore because everyone would be talking about him grabbing onto Esau's heel when they, at their birth, right? Is that, did that really happen? So, so your parents named you Trickster? Is that how you got your name, Jacob? You know, some of you have had labels put on you that, that you had no say in. And those labels have stuck with you, maybe even haunted you throughout your life. But even though we can't go back and change the label, even though we can't go back and change the beginning, 
We can start where we are and change the ending. Right? Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians 3.13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Look at that. Straining toward what lies, towards what lies ahead. In other words, if there's going to be straining, if, if you're going to wrestle, wrestle with God, what God has in store for you, not where, what you had in your past. Wrestle with what God has in store for you, not with what you've screwed up with in the past. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, this is, a, this is a great verse here. But if from there, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're at. But if from there. I don't know how many times you've been married, you know, but if from there. I don't know how many mistakes you've made, but if from there. I don't know how many lies you've told, but if from there. I don't know how much debt you're in, but if from there. Doesn't matter how you got to where you're at. You know, the Bible doesn't even ask you how you got to. It just says, but if from there, if you'll seek the Lord your God, you will find him. Come on, you just missed a good place to say it. If you don't, if you don't start amen on me, I'm going to start amen on myself. And that's going to be awkward. That's just going to be awkward. Right? If you seek him with all your heart and soul, you'll find him. Like Jacob we wrestle with our past. Also, like Jacob, we wrestle with our secrets. We wrestle with our secrets. Jacob was named deceiver, trickster, before he started deceiving. But the longer he heard people calling him deceiver or trickster, he began to believe it. He began to believe it. We know that because of how his life played out. He tricked his brother into giving up his birthright. Then he tricked his dad into giving him the blessing that was reserved for Esau the firstborn son. You know, that's not because God likes firstborn sons more. You know, he, God wants to bless all of his children. But the reason the firstborn got the father's blessing is because if something were to happen to the father, guess who was in charge? The firstborn. That's why they got the blessing, right? So it was more of a practical thing. It wasn't a favoritism thing. But apparently Jacob either didn't know that or he forgot it. And if you grew up in the church, you might, you might remember the story of Jacob and Esau, how it, when Esau was born, it says he came out of the womb, hairy and red. Seriously, Genesis 24, 25, 24 and 20. When, he, when the time came for her, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her, room, the, in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. God helped the brother. My goodness. Came out looking like a wool blanket. So they named him Esau. Should have named him Sasquatch, sounds like. When you read more of the story, we're told that Esau was more into hunting and fishing and more of the manly stuff. But Jacob, Jacob was more of a mama's boy. While Esau was out hunting for dinner, Jacob was back at home in the kitchen with mom getting dinner ready. And apparently, Jacob struggled with the idea that his brother was always out hanging out with dad, getting to go hunting, because he already knew he was going to get the birthright. So one day, Jacob defaults to his namesake, deceiver, trickster. And he concocts a plan to get Esau's birthright blessing. He knew when Esau went hunting, he'd be gone all day and be starving when he got home. So he concocts a plan to, to trick Esau. Esau comes back from one of his all-day hunting trips. He's starving Marvin. Jacob knew that. So he calls him into the kitchen and says, hey, bro, I've been cooking this delectable stew all day. And, of course, 
you know, Esau's been out hunting all day, so, you know, he's, he's really hungry. So he's smelling this amazing stew cooking. And so apparently all that time in, in the kitchen with mom served Jacob well as far as being a cook, right? So anyway, so he, he might have even given him a sample. Here, Esau, just take a, take a sample of this, man. This, this is really good. Tell you what, I'll give you some of this stew if you let me have the birthright, the blessing. The Bible says that Esau was so hungry that he actually gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. But the trickster wasn't finished yet. Even though he had arranged this deal with Esau, he, he wasn't sure his dad would be on board with it. So rather than take a chance of not getting the blessing from his dad, Jacob again defaults to his namesake, the trickster. Once again, he starts plotting another trick. He goes out and finds some hairy animal skin, probably from one of the animals that Esau had killed when he went hunting. Then he goes to see his dad, Isaac, who the Bible says couldn't see very well, so he was probably legally blind. We don't know for sure. But based on how this played out, Isaac was probably either legally blind or did not see very well at all because Jacob goes to see Isaac and pretends like he's Esau. And to prove it to his dad, he placed the animal skin over his arm with the hair up, and he says, it's me, Esau. See, feel my arm. Because remember, Esau was hairy. We're told that. And that is how Jacob got the birthright that should have gone to Esau. But even though Jacob got what he wanted, the firstborn blessing, because he had to trick his way into that blessing, he knew it wasn't legit. He knew that. He knew that all of his life. And he ended up being miserable the rest of his life. You know, just, just in the way of summary, let, let, me, let me give you a Reader's Digest version of, of how Jacob's life played out. When he got older, he ended up marrying sisters, which I alluded to earlier. But in fairness, part, part of this was, was out of his hands. He had gone to work for their dad, a guy named Laban. And, and Jacob, the trickster, ended up getting tricked by this guy, Laban, right? Because Jacob only wanted to marry Rachel. But Rachel's dad tricked Jacob into a two-for-one deal, a two-for-one package. Right? And Laban got 14 years of labor from Jacob. And as a result... He got rid of both of his daughters, right? It's a fascinating, you guys should read your Bible sometime. It's really a fascinating story. While working for his future father-in-law, Laban, Jacob not only made him wealthy, he was able to put together his own little, little nest egg, but while he was busy succeeding in business, his home and family were falling apart. The sisters that he had married, they didn't get along with, with each other. They were, they were each jealous and insecure. Both of them knew that Rachel was his favorite, and they both knew that, that Rachel was his favorite. But she wasn't able to have children right away. And Leah had already given birth to four sons. Rachel still had none by then. When she complained to Jacob about it, Jacob said, in effect, hey, this isn't my fault. This isn't my problem, right? So stop complaining. Rachel decided to uh, take matters into her own hand. And so she gave Jacob a concubine to bear her children in, bear children in her place. Now, this is for another sermon as well. This was an ancient custom. We we saw the same strategy with Sarah and Hagar. So, so Jacob fathered some sons with this woman as well, this concubine that Rachel had given him. Leah, not to be outdone, right, gave Jacob another concubine, right? And he had some sons with that concubine as well, right? And then at last, Rachel gave birth to a son named Joseph, who would always be Jacob's favorite. My point being, even though Jacob tricked his way into the blessing, he carried that secret with him throughout his entire life. He always knew it wasn't rightfully his, that it was Esau's. And I believe the trickle down from that was what created all the wrestling and restlessness in Jacob's life. Eventually, Jacob found himself with four wives, 
11 sons and a whole lot of stress at work, a lot of conflict at home. And the lesson here is, listen up, the lesson here is God cannot bless who we pretend to be. God cannot bless who we pretend to be. You can lie, you can trick and cheat your way through life. And even if you get everything you want, you'll never be able to enjoy it because deep down, deep down you know you tricked, lied, and cheated your way into it. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, once said in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So if you're content to put on that front, wear your mask, pretend to be someone, not, not literal mask, you know what I'm talking about here. I need to clarify that in this day and age. But if you're content to put up that front, not let people see who you really are, you can get by in life, but you'll never prosper. You'll never prosper. You'll never succeed. Only when we take that mask off and let people see who we really are, God can bless us and use us. You know, we spent an entire session talking about this very thing on our marriage encounter weekends because these masks that we wear are probably the most damaging thing to the marriage relationship. We wrestle with our past. We wrestle with our secrets. And then thirdly, we wrestle with God. We wrestle with God. Now let that statement sink in for a moment. You know, to hear me say it, it doesn't have much impact. But think about that. The idea that we would actually wrestle with God, do, do we think that's a battle that we can win? Really? Do we think we can win that battle? Yet people do this all the time because wrestling with God isn't always obvious to us. It's not like we tell God, okay, God, bring it. Come on, God, bring it. No, no, no. Our wrestling match with God is created through our disobedience. And it leads to our hardening of heart. Wrestling is God's way of getting our attention when we're at a place that we shouldn't be. That's how we wrestle with God. Hebrews 3, 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. He's talking about the children of Israel. Where your ancestor tested me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Don't test the patience of the Lord is the message there. Verse 10. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger. This, this is amazing. Watch, this is what God swears he's going to do to people who continue to choose their heart in their heart, to people who continue to choose to keep their mask on, who continue to choose to play games with him. This is God's promise to you. And this is very sobering. They shall never enter my rest. In other words, your life's going to, it's going to seem like one long wrestling match, one after another. So, you know what, dear ones, if that's what you want, go for it. But I don't think that's what you want. I don't think you want a life marked by constant wrestling, all right? But if you're tired of wrestling, you're tired of playing games with God, you're ready to grab a hold of God until he blesses you, if that's what you want, then do these two things. First of all, give up being in control. Give up being in control. You know, see, Jacob always had a backup plan, didn't he? Jacob always had his own solutions, his own answers, because deceivers and tricksters always do. Right? And Jacob's, Jacob lived his life being in control for many years until one night when he wrestled with God. So if you really want to, God to move in your life, you need to do, to the, do these two things. You need to give up being in control because brokenness precedes breakthrough. You come to God this morning and just be real. God, I'm tired. I'm done. I can't keep doing this. I'm sorry. I can't keep doing this. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God, of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Look at that statement. 
You will not despise. God's not looking for perfection. He's not waiting for you to get your life together before he'll receive you. You know what he's looking for? God's looking for honesty. That's it. He's just looking for honesty. Someone to just be honest with him, right? Just, God, I can't keep living my life like this. And God's like, yeah, I know. I've been waiting on you. I've been here all the time just waiting on you. If you're tired of wrestling, you're ready to grab a hold of God, then the first thing that you need to do is give up being in control. Second thing, you need to give your whole life to God. When Jacob gave his whole life to God, then God was able to bring peace in the midst of his striving and restlessness. But I'm going to tell you, folks, change doesn't come when you're only 40% in, right? I'll come to church, but you ain't get me to go one of them kumbaya growth groups. Well, first of all, they're not kumbaya, but I do have a good kumbaya story to tell you. Talk to me after service, and I'll tell you my good kumbaya story. But look, our growth groups aren't just to give you something else to do during the week. They're to help you grow, to take your next step of faith, help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But look, here's the thing. You don't have to attend a growth group to make it to heaven. No, you don't. Growth groups don't keep you from going to hell, but they can keep you from living a hellish life. I guarantee you that. But ultimately, that's your call. That's your call. If you're content to serve God on your terms, do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, you can do that. And you'll make it to heaven, all right. Wrestling the whole stinking way. Wrestling the whole way. Is that what you want? If you want God's best, you got to go all in. You grab a hold of God and don't let go until he blesses you, until he changes you. As I was finishing up my sermon notes this past week, praying over the message, the Lord reminded me of uh, one of my own wrestling matches I had with him once years ago. And, and I knew the Lord reminded me of this story because he wanted me to share it, but I didn't, I didn't want to share it, and I argued with God. And the reason I didn't want to share it is because, and I told the Lord this, I said, Lord, it, make, it makes me look pretty shallow. And uh, he said, well, you were shallow. So uh, anyway, don't judge me. Here's my story. Here's, my, here's one of my wrestling matches with God. August of 1978, I packed up everything I owned in my 62 Chevy pickup, drove down to Dallas, Texas, and I didn't end up in Tulsa, by the way. I did make it to Dallas. I was two years into my walk with God, and up until that time, my walk with God was a roller coaster, up and down, up and day. One day, I'd be doing great. Next day, I'd get a call from one of my friends, and we'd go out, and I'd fall back into my old lifestyle. That went on for two years. Finally, I determined that, you know what, if this thing's going to have a fighting chance, I got to make a clean break. I, I need to get myself in an environment where I could grow spiritually. Well, so I ended up going to Bible school, and uh, things were going well initially, but before long, I got sidetracked because uh, I had, I'll be honest, I had never been in an environment where I'd seen so many pretty Christian girls at one time. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was amazing. See, that's the part that makes me look real shallow. I'm just, you know, saying. But, but, but I, I suddenly found myself, you know, I really wanted to get married. You know, I thought, you know, yeah, I think I want to get married, God. But uh, I, I knew that, that, that you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't down there for the right reason. I, I was getting sidetracked, and I knew that's not why God sent me there. So there was this tension, this wrestling with God. And then finally, one cool evening in late October, I got my Bible, went out of my dorm room, went out in the parking lot, got in the back of my pickup, and uh, poured my heart out to God. And I opened up to the Psalms because that's an easy place to do since Psalms are kind of at the middle of the Bible and I just kind of opened up. Opened up to Psalm 37 and got to verse 4. 
And I'd already highlighted it previously, but here's what it said. Delight yourself in the Lord and I'll give you the desire of your heart. So for the next couple of hours, I, I had my own wrestling match with God and he finally touched the hip of my socket, not uh, the, the socket of my hip, not, not literally, but, but he got my undivided attention and, and, and I, I broke down. I was crying. I was repenting, hoping no one was looking out the windows. You know, who's that guy crying in the bed of a pickup out there? But, um, I don't know how long I'd been there, a couple hours. I, I finally got up, went back in the dorm room, but I had determined in that wrestling match with God, I said, okay, God, I'm giving it up. I'm giving it up. I know why I came here, so I'm just going to get focused on you. I'm going to get up earlier in the morning. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to go fishing. That's it. That's what I told him. Seriously. I'm going to get up early. I'm gonna, any spare time, I'm going to spend reading your Bible, reading your word, or going fishing. And that's exactly what I did for the next few months. Fast forward a few months, three and a half months, me and my roommate are heading over to chapel for an evening worship service, walking down a row of chairs, looking for a seat, and the next available seat open next to the one I was sitting in was a smoking hot student that had just arrived on campus for spring semester. That was February 6, 1979. By April, we were engaged, and by August, we were husband and wife on you folks, they that wait upon the Lord. Mm, mm, mm. Say, well, God worked that fast for me. <laughs> You're missing the point. You're missing the point. How long are you going to have to wrestle with God? I don't know. I mean, that's what he did. The point is, you know, God wasn't opposed to me getting married. He just wanted me to give it up. That, that was first. No, no, no. It's okay. He wasn't opposed to me getting married. He was opposed to me putting that before him. And when I finally put him first and got the, the, the order right, and I did, I grabbed a hold of him for the next three months, and I wrestled with him, and I, and I don't, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And oh my, did he bless me. Mm. When you let go of whatever it is you've been holding on to, give yourself fully to God, begin trusting him, getting to know him, it's amazing what God can do. All he needs is our commitment, our cooperation, and our comfort. That's right, I said our comfort. It's time to quit being comfortable in your relationship with God because comfortable people don't wrestle with God. I like what Pastor Adam Scott said about comfort. I just read this yesterday. This is solid gold. Listen to this. Comfortable people don't need Jesus and don't chase their ambitions. Desperate people do. If we're going to get after our ambitions, God doesn't want us living right in the middle of our comfort anymore. He wants us living on the edge of yikes. Isn't that good? Mark 8, 34, calling the crowd to join his disciples. This is Jesus said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. This is God speaking. Literal translation, let go. And if you'll do that, if you'll let go, start being more intentional about coming to church, watching family church at home. Those of you watching our e from our e-campus, attend our next class. If you haven't yet, get plugged into a growth group. Start serving somewhere in the church. If you'll do all those things for one year, just, just give us one year of your life. I promise you, you'll look back and say, this was the best year of your life. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And if it's not, if it's not the best year of your life, we'll give you your old life back, no questions asked. That's the guarantee. So where do you see yourself in Jacob's story? Obviously, the main focus with Jacob was Jacob and wrestling with God. But you know, as I was praying this morning, I got to thinking, you know, maybe there's some Esau's out there. Right? Those of you who, may, who, who might have been on the receiving end of a trickster or a deceiver. Those of you who maybe in a moment of weakness gave in to a temptation, 
that jeopardize your future hopes and dreams or your legacy. If that's you, God wants you to know that no matter how much damage might have been done through that moment of weakness or deception, look, if you're still breathing, then the final chapter of your life hasn't been written yet, and there's hope. There's still hope. Some of you are wrestling with God right now. Any, of your, any area of your life that you haven't surrendered completely to God, you're wrestling with God. And dear ones, that is a wrestling match that ultimately you can't win. You can't win it. So your best bet is to quit wrestling with God and like Jacob, just grab a hold of him and don't let go until he blesses you, until he changes you. Because come on, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you really want? To change, for things to be different, to have such a powerful encounter with God that it propels your life on a completely different trajectory. So if you're here with us or perhaps watching on a live stream, family church at home, you're ready for a fresh start, ready to go all in with God, if you can relate to that statement, but if from here, some of you are at from here and you're ready to surrender your whole life to God because that's what salvation is, dear ones. That's, salvation is just giving everything you have to God, giving everything you have to God. If you're ready to do that, would you be willing to pray this prayer after me? Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and paying for my sins. Today, I receive what you did for me on the cross by surrendering my life completely to you. Come live inside of me. Forgive me. Heal me. Give me a fresh start, Jesus. And by your grace and strength, I'm going to start living my life for you, starting today. In Jesus' name, amen.